We've been, uh, we've been on a series that we're going to go right into Easter with. We've been looking at the contrast and the story that uh, largely the authors of the Gospels wanted us to pick up on, which is this comparison of Peter and Jesus. Peter's betrayal and his unfaithfulness, Jesus's faithfulness to the cause, and the relationship that they have. And we're really looking at the, the Easter story of, of suffering, death, and resurrection from how Peter would have experienced it, what it looked like to him. Peter is meant to show this contrast between God's people and Jesus in the act of redemption. His road to redemption from the time that he fails until Christ restores him is, a, is an allegorical telling of our story, of how we, can, how we fail and we're restored and how Christ comes back to us. This is his story and it's our story. We, we, because we live in the Willamette Valley, my wife and I, we're not homeowners. We're still renting an apartment because yikes. And so we, we've, we're in an apartment right now. We've moved into it. And the guy that was there before us was an appliance dealer. He, he moved appliances around and he would uh, service them and things. And so when he moved in, he'd hated the, the range and he hated the dishwasher. And he told our landlord, I can get them very cheap. Can I put them in there? And she said, here's the agreement. I'm fine with that. But what you have to do is that if you put something in there, it has to stay. You can't add something and take it with you. So whatever you put in there needs to stay and you can't take it out. And he said, okay, I'll agree to that. So using his system and stuff, he gets a nice set in there. It's very, very fancy. And we moved into that apartment. So you'd think we would get it, but we didn't. He left under eviction for repeated noise complaints and trash in the place and being really difficult. Um, And so he was kicked out. We moved in and out of spite he put in the worst dishwasher and oven he could find. And he knew what he was doing. He was educated in this decision because he does this for a living. This dishwasher is so loud. I have never heard anything like it in my life. I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. This is true. Sometimes pastors exaggerate. This is true. When we're watching TV, the volume at eight on our TV is perfect. You can hear it just fine. But if you put the dishwasher on, you turn it up to 40 to hear what's going on. It is that loud. 53 if it's set to pots and pans. This sucker is so loud. I watch the dwarves singing and clinking dishes and cleaning on Snow White, and they're quieter than my dishwasher. So I guess the question is, is who pays for it? I mean, he wanted to spite my landlord, but she doesn't care. She doesn't live in this apartment. Me, I'm paying for it. I am paying for his spite. And I doubt he thought of that. I actually knew him beforehand. Uh, I was one of the neighbors that might have complained about his noise. Uh, We all did. It was out of control. But uh, I doubt he was thinking, boy, when Sam and Elena get in here, I'm going to ruin every day after dinner. I'm going to make it so loud in this apartment. We often don't think of the ways what we do affects other people. Our inability to follow through on things and how that might impact somebody. Often the key to being a great employee is to focus on being a great coworker so that you don't leave tasks done at the end of the day that your coworkers have to make up for, nor leaving some terrible mess that they have to clean up. We do these things because we don't think of the fact that it's someone's going to have to pay for it, what we're going to do. Between God and man is this impassable chasm of suffering created by sin, created by destruction, and no person can cross through it. And we see this interesting thing that as Peter fails more, 
Christ, on the other hand, is diving in further. That as much as Peter pulls back from suffering, refusing to go into it, refusing to have hardship, Jesus all the more continues to press in and go after him. Because they can't meet in the middle, he's going to come across. And like uh, Peter, Christ's suffering, every inch of it was about taking away something Peter deserved to receive. It was something about that person, that individual, as it is with everyone. I want to read the passage of suffering. I think it's, it's meaningful between now and Easter to reflect on the suffering Christ went through. And we're gonna read it. We're gonna read the whole thing through. And then we're gonna take some time. We'll take uh, four little stops along the way. We'll go back, but we're gonna read it all the way through the first time. So we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 27. We're gonna be starting in verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man um, from Serene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came across to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus, oh, excuse me, not there. There they offered Jesus wine to drink and mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused it. He refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes, casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him where he was. And above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law uh, and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, or Eli, Eli, lama shakbathini. Uh, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling on Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with wine and vinegar, and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus. The rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus cried up again in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. Sorry, you guys have an emotional pastor. Give me one. Here we go. All right. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died raised to life. And we'll stop there for now. Peter sought to avoid pain and discomfort to such an extreme level and such a mild version of it compared to this. Not wanting to be accused, there was no sign that they were going to do him any harm. They didn't arrest him in the garden. And he avoids it and he digs headlong in his escape from pain and from discomfort into utter betrayal, going against what Christ taught him, cursing Christ himself, saying he never knew him. I think it's possible we could perhaps say that most sin, maybe even all sin, is, an is a seeking for inappropriate comfort, comfort at the wrong time. 
We can't just measure things simply by what feels good and what sounds good. Because sometimes goodness at first is incredibly bitter and it's difficult. Something deep in Peter must have said that if it feels bad, it is bad. And he pulls away from this discomfort. And honestly, his unfaithfulness, his seeking of comfort brought him no peace because he leaves weeping bitter tears. On the other hand, crucifixion is largely considered one of the most painful and gruesome forms of execution humanity has ever devised. The process often took days for the individual to die because the wounds they sustained being crucified weren't enough to kill them immediately. In fact, it would take days, and so the beating and the flogging and the the tearing of their flesh beforehand was seen by Rome as some sort of mercy to hasten death, that they would be beaten and cut to a point that they wouldn't last so long. And finally, death came by asphyxiation because though the human body tries so hard to survive, there's a point where they got so exhausted they couldn't lift their heads up anymore and it closed their windpipe and they would suffocate. And nailing wasn't to hold anyone to the cross. They were bound to it with ropes. Nails were there strictly for the pain and they were aimed right at clusters of nerves. There's an interesting uh, fact you can read. There was a, a rebel whose name also happened to be Jesus. Uh, He rose up when Jesus was a boy in Galilee. Galilee was seen as the region of rebels. It was where people rebelled against Rome. He rose up an army and they fought back with Rome, but Rome crushed them. And Rome, what they did to show that you were defeated and crushed was crucifixion. It was what they did to people who were not Roman. And so as a boy, he would have seen it because across all the streets in Galilee for miles and miles and miles was this other Jesus and all of his followers hanging on crosses. For days, they would have walked by those people, hearing them groan, hearing them moan, seeing the pain as these conspirators were hung one side to the other to show just what happens to those who oppose Rome. As a boy, Jesus would have likely seen it. And the trauma of that going so deep isn't something that just happens when you're a boy. It's because Rome did this all the time. And they, let, they wanted people to know how bad it was. They wanted people to see it because it was the perennial threat to everyone. Do not rebel against Rome. And as we see this, we begin to get a picture of why Jesus may have been uh, so filled with dread. Because the cross was, yes, it's sin being poured on him and the suffering of that. One of the most painful things he says on the cross is, God, why have you forsaken me? But the suffering itself and how it would have been felt and perceived what he knew about it full well. And what's amazing is that whereas you've got Peter who had no idea if it would cost him, had actually pretty good reason to think it wouldn't if he would have said, yes, I was with him. They didn't arrest me in the garden. I'm free to to stay here in trial. John, the beloved, he stayed in the trial the whole time. Nothing happened to him. But Jesus, knowing the full level of suffering, submits anyway and goes ahead. It says in verse 34, this is just before they crucify him, it says that uh, then they offered Jesus uh, wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he refused to drink it. We miss this because we don't use this remedy, but this was uh, an ancient narcotic. It was a painkiller. And it was seen as some sort of mercy that they would give it to them because all they really needed for them was to be hung on the cross and to die in a few days. And so they would give them this painkiller And the point is that Jesus rejects it entirely. The only mercy that was offered and condoned for them was this. 
and he wouldn't take any comfort, no peace, no relief until it was completed. There was this weird thing in the 90s. Everybody was obsessed with volcanoes. And there was, a, there was several movies. One of them was Dante's Peak. Anybody seen Dante's Peak? I believe it was Dante's Peak, but honestly, if I'm wrong, it's because there were so many, I can't remember. It's like Bugs Life and Ants coming out in the same month. That was stupid. So Dante's Peak came out, and there is a scene where the lava has been pouring into the lake for so long that the lake is boiling hot. And the, this family is in a boat, and they're trying to get... I'm going to cry over Dante's Peak. This is dumb. All right, hold on. I need wine and gall. All right. And they're trying to get across, and the boat's breaking up from the heat because it's a wooden boat. So the grandma, she leaps out of the boat because they can't quite get to shore because it's taking on water, and she drags the whole family up, and it burns her legs. And she takes all this pain, and she jumps in to do it um, and discards the pain entirely for what she's trying to accomplish. And it's amazing that for Jesus, there was a moment where he could have been offered pain relief, but it wasn't about that. It was about going ahead and saving people. And likely he had even someone special on his mind because Peter was helpless and unfaithful, but Christ pulls for it all the same. Peter abandons Jesus, but Jesus won't abandon Peter. Peter needed his sins paid for, so Jesus took no comfort, no relief until it was born completely, the fullness of the quota of all that pain and sin, and it was finished. Verse 39, we see the mockers. I'm going to read it over again. It says, those who passed hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way the rebels that were crucified with him also heaped insults at him. It is remarkable how much they sound like Satan. There's actual exact phrasing they're using that was said during the temptation. If you really are the son of God, do this thing. They're presenting Christ with his final temptation to come off the cross. Something he would have had the power to do. Come off the cross and the kind of promises are, come off the cross, then we will believe you. Come off the cross, then you will be free from this pain. Then we will honor you as the Messiah. But Peter will belong to Satan. Jesus, he hasn't changed in three years. And his answer is the same. He's faithful to be submitted to what the Father asked him to do. And he's faithful to those whom he loves. Because there is no greater love than this, that a man would give his life for his friend. And on that terrible afternoon, that friend was Peter and the rest of us. The mockers are speaking up now because things look bad, and it's easy to be braggy when things look bad. Like a, like a fair weather fan in the fourth quarter when their team starts to win and they start talking all that trash. It does indeed look really bad. As we know, John was there, and he stayed for the entire thing, and he had full faith in who Jesus was, and he believed that he was going to be the Messiah. And yet he doesn't run away. He stays there for the whole thing. And I wonder if you were to walk up to him in the crowd and you were to say, John, what is this? What does this mean? 
I think you'd have a hard time answering. I think you'd probably say in the end he doesn't know and that all he knows is that he needs to stay close to Jesus. And that would have been a really good answer. We can't make sense of painful moments when they happen, of just what is really going on in the grand scheme of things. I remember years ago, it was probably seven or eight years ago, first interim, our first pastor was gone. We had no, leader, no central leadership at the time. And that's who I always went to when I was early, I mean, early and late in youth pastor days. I went to my senior pastor when I was feeling down. And I was alone. It was the first Wednesday of summer, so nothing was happening here. All small groups weren't meeting, no, no comfort kitchen, all the things we did. Place was dead as a doornail. We were gonna throw a party that night because uh, we were hoping to invite new kids because youth group collapsed. We had, it was the first time it collapsed. When I started, I, I felt very successful. I came in, youth group grew dramatically, quadrupled in size, and things were going well. And then we had all this drama happen, and students got in these big arguments, and it was key people, and it all collapsed. And it was the first collapse I went through. In 11 years, I led us through a few of them. <laughs> but I was sitting there, and I was inflating balloons in my office for this party, and I thought, what am I doing this for? And I was so depressed. I had nobody to talk to, and I thought, I don't understand. I don't get how this happened. I don't get how I went from feeling like I was with a team to I'm doing this alone. I don't understand why I have to put this on. Nobody, you know, nobody, no kids are showing up really because they're excited. What is this about? I had no idea. I just kept inflating balloons. And I went to the stinking party and we put it on and it was a success. It was good. But honestly, as I look back now, after 11 years of serving as a youth pastor, there wasn't one moment that made sense of that moment but it was the years afterward and all the faces that I saw and the not giving up and deciding to stick with what God told me to do, that all those faces, all those stories, all those times that I got to mentor and pastor somebody comes from that. I never would have thought of that in that moment though. I never would have thought, oh, one day I'll, one day I'll meet Gavin Dodds and um, Sierra Scott and all these students I hadn't met before and I'll be able to mentor and pastor them and get to know them and share life with them. You just can't make sense of it. It is, it is a confusing time. And it's so important that in those moments, you just simply stick with God, that you just are gonna stay with him. John's answer could have potentially been a very good one. Just stick with him because we really don't know. It's people that try to make sense of those moments that can find themselves believing very bizarre things. These people thought Jesus was the Messiah when he came into town and he wasn't bleeding and he wasn't hanging on a cross. They, don't forget today's Palm Sunday. This is the day that we commemorate them laying down the palms and welcoming him in and acting like that they really were gonna believe in him. They put confidence in him when things looked promising. Making sense of what they saw, he couldn't be the Messiah. Not the way he was looking, not the way things went. And what a stupid things that turned out to be everything they were saying. The garbage they mocked him with, it makes no sense, but it made sense in the moment. If you are the Messiah, come off the cross. It might've made sense, but how stupid is that? Because him remaining on the cross is what proves he's the Messiah. Later on, they say, call down Elijah, not realizing this is the one that came down and pulled Elijah out with a fiery chariot. Don't let things uh, let you forget who Jesus is. 
when they are bad, when it seems that our hero is struck down, when things are going poorly. If you can't make sense of it, just stay with Jesus. Verse 51. This is the part that made me cry. I believe I can do it. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Peter screwed up really bad, really, really bad. This isn't just being unfaithful. This was denouncing his faith. This was giving up on things. This is in direct violation to if they disown me in front of others, I'll disown them in front of my father. What Peter needed was an enormous cataclysmic miracle to save what he did. And he gets it. Peter would not come to God, so God is released upon Peter because the veil is torn. This veil was between the Holy of Holies, where it was believed the immediate presence and the power presence of God was, the kind of place that you would go to and you would get killed if you were unholy. It was, the, it was like you needed to go to the doctor, but his very presence would have killed you. This has been the problem for Israel all along. So they set up the boundaries and they sacrifice in blood and they do what they can to try to minister across and through this terrible curtain. And it's ripped from top to bottom, not bottom to top as a man would rip it, but from top to bottom. And it would have been a considerable tearing because uh, records from Josephus say that the curtain was as thick as a man's palm. It was a protective curtain. Peter failed and Jesus charged in and he tore a path for Peter. Eating Peter's sin, boring his suffering, and he opened a way to save Peter. And all these signs break out that Jesus is successful. The earth shakes the rocks split. And it's a final sign of the kind of life that's released, the dead rose again. And the word they use here isn't, isn't the same kind of, it describes a resurrection that isn't quite like Lazarus, this reanimation, his body coming back. This would be like actual apocalyptic resurrection to where dry bones are back alive again. People that maybe no one had ever seen. For all we know, they could have been saints from the Old Testament. And it happens because Jesus went forward and did it anyway. He remained there. He said no to the final temptation and bore that suffering. And the suffering is so important for us to remember. As William Mount said, it was the power of love, not nails that held him there. His love for Peter, who failed him, who betrayed him. His love for you and me is the thing that held him there. No, no power overcomes him. It was to be there, to make the way. The kind of struggle he had with Peter of someone who left him, who betrayed him, but he goes into the suffering so he can come back and bring him into salvation, bring him into new life to restore him to what he was called to be is a picture of all the church. That for the love of Peter, he didn't get off the cross. For the love of you, he did not get off the cross. His sacrifice is great and it is not in vain. As we wind up to Easter, I think it's important for us to be reflecting on the suffering Jesus did, knowing that his suffering was a suffering of love. He was well within his power to come off that cross. He did far greater things than that. 
He bore shame, pain, dishonor for us. And we who have fled far, he's chased down and made a way for us across the chasm of suffering. I'm gonna pray for us. And I would ask you as the week is ahead of us, let's be thinking about the love and the suffering that was in that moment as we get ready to celebrate his victory. Lord, I ask that those of us that have not taken time to reflect on just how much love was in that moment, in that suffering, in that turmoil, the pain, that we would know that you did it for us. In the same way Peter left you and he wouldn't go with you, but you charged ahead, you made a path for him and you come back for him. You did that for each one of us. You think of the individual, you leave the 99 for the one. You thought of us when you were on the cross and you bore it for us. Lord, I pray that we would remember the power of your suffering, that what you went through was a bridge to bring us out of it, that we would not be stuck in that kind of deserving pain. God, I pray that anew and afresh, that we've heard it a thousand times before, that we would remember that you suffered for our sins. Lord, would you make that phrase new to us today and this week as we think about the incredible love you poured out. Lord, I pray for those in here that have been saying something to themselves. They've been saying, I'm not worthy of God's love and that, that I'm not there yet or God doesn't want me. Lord, I pray that you would remind them that the portrait of all of us is seen in Peter, someone who absolutely betrayed you in a painful and personal way, betrayed you and you wouldn't forsake him. You went ahead for his sake. You bore it for his sake, refusing painkiller for his sake. And you bore his pain so that you could have him forever, Lord. I pray that those in here who feel unworthy of the love of God would remember just how lavish and rich it is. Pour it out for them in a personal and individual way. Let us be transformed in your love this morning, God. In your name we pray.